0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome
1: episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean Bradford. And once again, not Richard. He is not feeling well, but in his place, we have Southern Bama Richard, a more caramely voice. Gabe Barrett is on the show with us. Welcome, Gabe.
0: Gentlemen, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so I really wanted to bring you on the show to talk about what it is that you're up to because it it's going to, I believe it, it'll it influence 90% of our podcast listeners in a positive way. You are a major mover in the board game space, helping people understand how to design games better. And really uh, what we'll talk about eventually is like how to be a professional in this space. And our podcast is all about helping people before, during, after a crowdfunding event. And part of that is acting like a professional. And so Gabe Barrett, the consummate professional in this space with the Carmele voice, I really wanted to go kind of through a, a small little journey and talk about where it is that you started and where and how you've transitioned into what it is that you're doing now It as kind of like a case study of one professional doing things well in the industry and how you're really kind of monetizing a full-time income in in this space um, and and how you kind of help people that really want to design great games Uh, because we want to market great games and so I I feel like it's important for everybody to listen so that's I hope that frames it well enough for everybody that's what we want to talk
0: about. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just excited to, to to share about my journey. It's been a wild ride. You know, I started podcasting, started really getting into game design for real. Like I've been doing it as a hobby for a long time. I got into it for real in 2016. And the podcast, the Board Game Design Live Podcast, is something that kind of came out of that and wanting to learn and wanting to give something back, wanting to, you know, be part of the community in some way. And yeah, it's just been a wild ride now, you know, seven years. Later, and all sorts of yeah. books and games and, and craziness, and the BGDL community, which is like right at 15,000 people now. It's just phenomenal. Wow. When
1: you started this journey, you started in South America or Central America, Honduras, and you had no way to connect with people. And you started that podcast, which now has over 300 episodes. And spoiler alert, it may have more
0: i mean is this true yeah absolutely uh at this point the 30 see i did 301 and i did 301 weeks in a row you know without fail you can count on a podcast coming out it's gonna happen and i got to a point i was like i want to i want to do something different i wasn't bored i wasn't burned out um, i just wanted to try some different things i was moving back to the united states you know i had been in honduras the entire time i was running the podcast and so i was like okay what what else can I do? And so I got into YouTube and trying different things. And I just kind of put the podcast on a hiatus. But uh, as of the launch of this episode that we are chatting, yeah, episode 302 should have launched uh, for the board game design lab. And uh, it's it's a whole story and getting back to, you know, kind of relaunching in the 2.0 version of the BGDO. And I'm sure we'll get into, But uh, but yeah, we're
2: we're back. Does this mean that you're going to sort of put the brakes on YouTube content for a while and focus on the podcast or you're going to do both? It's
0: going to be both. And I might be a lunatic. I might be a crazy man because it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a whole lot. And ask me again in three months if I'm divorced or not. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I'm going to do both. What, I, what I've done, let's see, I started really doing YouTube in November of last year. And the goal every week was trying something new. All right, let's do a video in this format okay, let's do a video that is two minutes long. Let's do a video that's 20 minutes long. Let's do a talking head video. Let's do a video with a skit. Let's do a video where I interview an expert and then chat about different things and kind of riff off of what they're saying. Every week was a different thing. And I was constantly trying to figure out, what do I want to do? You know, some some weeks I talked about board game design. Some weeks I talked about life advice. Some weeks I talked about, you know, experience I've had in my own life and emotions and things that I've been through. And, and every video is like, okay, Not only does it resonate with viewers, right? Does it get views and subscribers and stuff like that? But does it resonate with me? Does it get me going? Does it energize me to say, this is the kind of stuff I want to do? And so for months and months and months, I just tried different stuff. And eventually I landed on a format and kind of a topic style, I guess. And I'm super excited about it. Really looking forward to making videos like that. But I realized that game design didn't fit into that path that I was going to be traveling down and lots of things didn't fit and so i started thinking through okay well let me just relaunch the bgdl youtube channel which had already like right at a thousand subscribers from just existing like i haven't posted a video on that channel for literally years and years but people just randomly subscribe so (laughs) so starting out the gate like right at a thousand subscribers like cool let's hit the ground running and so there's going to be regular board game design content there i'm going to post podcast episodes going to post clips i've got huge, you know, vision for what that channel can be. And then my personal channel is a totally different type of thing. I'm really excited about that, but then it all kind of works together, you know? And so I can record a podcast episode. I can record the audio, record the video. I can put it on, you know, I can put it out there on my website, on iTunes, on Spotify, but then also on YouTube, clip it, you know, cut it up and make it you know, four minute, eight minute, whatever little clips to make it a little easier to digest for people that don't want to sit down and listen or watch an hour long. Show, and but again, it all kind of works together, and hopefully, just continues to bring more people into the game design community. Because what I realized is that it is a lot bigger than I thought. There are a lot more game designers out there, especially after the pandemic. So many more people coming in. And I'm just excited to share content and resources with them.
2: For those who don't know, the first 1,000 subscribers on YouTube are your hardest to get, so it's quite substantial that you've got 1,000. Is a good place to be in because nobody wants to subscribe to. A channel that doesn't have any subscribers is sort of like the social proof, it's the hardest first thousand is the hardest to get. Which is um which is good that you've really got that.
0: And it puts you like in the top ten percent of YouTube channels or something. Like there's so few wow. YouTube channels that have <laughs> any subscribers at all.
2: We've talked a little bit about having a YouTube channel, but it's always been something that I know how much work has to go into doing YouTube well. And I just mm-hmm. don't think we have the bandwidth at the moment. I think I'd love if we had like a, an actual studio and we were sitting at a desk and we could do like a multi-camera shoot. I think that's, yep. that kind of content would be great for YouTube. And then you could in, incorporate live streaming and get you know, tips and things that way. So is live streaming on the books? Is that something that you're going to think about in the future? Because I think that that's a great way to leverage YouTube and its unique ecosystem. Yeah. At the moment,
0: no, because it, it's just one more thing. And I've got like... Mm-hmm. I've got a plate full of one more things and I'm all, I'm currently mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, I got to cut some stuff. It's like, I'm going to, like, mm-hmm. I, I design games less now. I publish, I work on publishing less now. Like, there's so many things I'm trying to figure out. Okay, what do I really want to do? And then let me cut out the other stuff and let me hire some people to help with some of the other things and whatnot. Livestream also, I feel like you need, like, a critical mass. Like, if I did a livestream today, mm-hmm. I might have three people there which is fine. Mm-hmm. They would be three amazing people. It would probably be the three of us at this very moment, honestly, mm-hmm. is what it would be. <laughs> but that's not that's not exactly Guilty. what you need if you want to really have interaction. If you really want to be like, hey guys, what do you think? And what should I talk about next? You know. So I feel like you, you need to build up a channel to a certain size just to have enough people there for it to really feel like you're live streaming versus just doing a video
2: by yourself. <laughs> video chat. Yeah, it makes sense. And also you want so many people trying to comment that they can't get their message across that they have to then tip or subscribe or give some type of transaction in order to get their message on screen, which then allows you to monetize that. So that's, that's kind of the space you want to be in before you live stream.
0: Yeah. It's kind of the thought I had before I launched the board game design, live Facebook community, you know, that, that took like a year or two. I can't remember. It was a while though, before I launched that online space, because I didn't want to launch it for eight people. It's like, you need enough people in there that, it's not me having to create all the content that people are generating their own content. They're not just talking to me and me talking to them. They're talking to each other. Like that's the ultimate of community. That it's not me doing all the stuff and me asking all the questions and prompting everything and me having to come in and comment because nobody else is. You want enough people that you're going to have all that kind of working itself out organically. And so I think that's something to think about for anybody listening to this. it's, It's thinking about groups and communities and online spaces and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you, you need to launch. Like, you need to have an online place for people to go. But be aware that early on, before you get that critical mass, you are going to have to do a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to answer the questions and the comments, and you're going to have to post and prompt and post the pictures and the video. Like, it's going to take a lot more work versus, like, down the road. Hopefully, you get enough people in there that it kind of starts doing it for you know on, on its own. And you can just kind of come in have some fun. You know, I I try to go in the BGDL group and anytime there's been a post that's been around for several hours and like doesn't have any comments or maybe one, that's usually when I comment. But so often I go in and, you know, somebody has posted something, you know, an hour ago and there's already 25 comments. And if I'm going to post something, it's like, well, I'm just probably going to reiterate something someone else has already said, you know, and so I'm not trying to just waste my time or theirs let me go find a post that hasn't had any comments and so that's just something to think about as you're getting into this whole community building and you know around your game around your kickstarter launch whatever something to think about
2: so in in terms of of youtube what have been some of the things that you've you found particularly challenging or perhaps surprising that you didn't really think would be hurdles when you first jumped in yeah so i think anyone who gets
0: into youtube originally your thought process is okay how do i make a great video I make a great video. People are going to watch it. They're going to like, they're going to subscribe. I'm going to get a million views. I'm going to be able to turn that into, you know, a business full-time revenue, stuff like that. The reality is it's not your job to make great videos. It's your job to come up with amazing titles and thumbnails that then a great video (laughs) attaches to that. And it's, it's reversed. So often people make a video and then they go, Oh shoot, what's my title going to be? Oh, I need to figure out a thumbnail for this. And it's backwards. You need to think through, Mm -hmm. okay, what is something that's clickable? Not like clickbait, that's not what I'm saying, but like something that someone is going to go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I wonder what that means. Oh, I'm curious about that. I need to figure out what's what happens next, the before and after, whatever. But you figure out the thumbnail and the title, and then everything else comes afterwards. And so that's something I've learned just in the last couple of months. And so I'm really excited about what the future of both the BGDL channel and my personal channel look like because I'm already thinking through, okay, here's here's where we're going. And like I've got all these ideas and all these things planned out that I have no idea what the video is going to be. But I know what the title and thumbnail are, and hopefully it resonates, and hopefully that gets into you know gets people to click.
1: Much of what you're doing now is built upon the foundation of what you, uh, of the experience that you gained uh, by volunteering really your time in the board game space, just trying to be a part of it. Uh, you really gained a lot of knowledge that you've published several games, many of which are on my shelf. I've got several hunted games. I've got, gosh, what was the first game you ever published? The final Flick here, like flicking. I've got Final Flick here been a while since I've played it, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, you, you just have a lot of experience. You went through uh, board game design lab as a website, BGDL plus, and trying to kind of turn that into a, a training site. You had a lot of ideas there. You monetize or Well, you worked on a YouTube channel that actually had really nice professional videos, both in board game design, but then also separately as, I mean, like a bunch of random board game facts in three minutes or five minutes. Um, you know that that video was just awesome. Um and now you're kind of putting all these pieces together and it's what is so fascinating to me because uh well there there are a number of things that I really want to get into but but the first one I think is a huge lesson for everybody listening to this. I'll illustrate with a story. So I had a friend that is that started a business with four partners, himself and three others. I think that that's a huge mistake to begin with to have four equal partners in a company. As soon as it makes money, your company has got to go under so that, you know, because two of them will be useless. And his job was to write a blog every week, which he faithfully did. And he wrote, edited, published a blog, and it took him like four to eight hours a week to, to do this. And he has a full-time job also. So doing this on the side, that was like all he could do. And the goal was to gain followers and email subscribers and, and build that way. And nobody... I mean, he, they, they ended up growing to about a thousand page views a month and no email subscribers. And I asked them, it's like, well, so what are your key performance indicators that this is working well for you? And they said, well, you know, we got a bunch of page views and that's really cool. Um, I was like, well, what about email subscribers or, you know, and they're like, well, those are really hard to get. So we're just not going to use those as, you know, I'm just like, you know, I think that the methodology that you're working with is not. Conducive to gaining email subscribers, maybe you should change what it is that you're doing. Maybe blogging every week is not the right play right now. And he's been, he'd been doing that faithfully, um, you know, for six months in a row. And he had never asked himself, is anybody reading this? Uh, that is, and and you know, fast forward a, a little while, and they they actually are just decided they they don't want to move forward with the company in its current state, which I think is a good move. They shuttered the company doors before they even produced a game because it just they the parts weren't working very well. And I think that when you commit yourself to doing something, you always have to be open-minded to changing your approach. You have to always have the end goal in mind, whatever that happens to be. It's like looking at, I don't know, we've been watching The Hobbit, uh, you know, watching through The Hobbit Extended Edition trilogy and, you know, Mount Erebor is like always in the distance, you know, the little peak of the mountain, you can see it with all of the forest and whatever in front of it. And that's like your goal, right? The place that you have to go. So how you get there it should change. The path that you take should change according to what's actually working. and. What is so fascinating to me, observing, uh, I've, I've been involved in this space about since 2016. I started designing Deliverance in 2016. I backed my first Kickstarter in 2015, but I got professionally involved around 2016, marketing in 2019. Uh, but the whole time I was listening to BGDL podcast and you know, getting involved in whatever it is that you were doing. And I saw you change your approach a lot. Uh, the only thing that was very, very consistent was that podcast for, what was it, six years straight of of episodes. And I found it fascinating as uh, that you were willing to change your approach almost on a dime according to what needed to be done or what, you know, and I'm like, just wondering what's going through this guy's head. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, why change? Why, like, are you... What is your philosophy in regard to changing approaches or changing pivoting strategy? When is something not working to you? When should one look to change their approach? Yeah,
0: for sure. I think it depends on the context. So with YouTube, my approach is I set up milestones and I go, okay, I'm going to look at the numbers, but I'm not going to worry about the numbers until I hit a certain milestone. And it's, it's content. It's not even time. It's like after 50 videos, I'm going to reassess. Kind of like your friends with the blog. It's like, okay, let's give it six months. Let's give it enough time to actually be able to have some data. You know, we didn't write one blog post and nobody read it. I didn't make one video and nobody watched it or a million people watched it. You need time. And then you can go, okay, what's the reality of this? What's the real information? You know, And then you can make some informed decisions. So I think it depends on the context. Once you're actually doing a thing and it's successful, right? I think then it becomes what gets you going? What it, that's that, with me personally, not everybody. And sometimes you get kind of locked in. You know, if I had a, a team of 15 people and I had all these folks that, I, you know, they were counting on me to pay their bills, you know, that they need me to put out podcast episodes. They need me to do things because that's their livelihood, not just my own. OK, things change. But since it was really just me and, and my family and figuring things out, I was in a time of transition from Honduras coming back to the States, I was changing jobs. I was changing languages. I was changing the ability to go to Chick-fil-A, like things, everything was changing. (laughs) Let's just literally change it all and let's see what happens and let's see what I'm excited about. Let's see what, what happens. uh, And then let's give it some time and then figure some things out. And so that's kind of what it's been with me. It's one, if I ever get bored of something, the question is, okay, why am I bored? Well, maybe it's because I'm just I've just been doing the same thing over and over again. And now it's not it's not interesting or as fun anymore because I'm not learning. I'm not growing. I'm not figuring things out. I've gotten kind of comfortable. Okay, let's change it up. And maybe we don't change it up too much, but maybe just enough to kind of have to figure something else. And so like with the new version of the podcast, it's not just audio, it's also video. It's like, Oh, that's a new thing. It's not just on iTunes. It's also on YouTube. Okay. So now we got to be a little more mindful things. I have to learn a whole new skill set. I have to work with a totally different group of freelancers and contractors and people to help me put this all together. Like, Oh man, that's exciting. That's interesting. That's new. It's different. Even though it's the same, you know, I'm still talking to Jamie Stegmaier, still talking to Peter C. Hayward, still bringing on some of my favorite people. I'm sure you guys will be guests here in the near future, but it's a new experience. Okay, what does that look like? And so, I think that's something for anybody to keep in mind. If you've been designing games for a long time and you've kind of feel like you're in a rut, well, go do something you've never done before. If, <laughs> go skydiving. Well, if there's that. In your I was talking about game design, but uh, like if you're designing Euro games and you're kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of done. Well, go design a party game. Go design something that's completely out of your box, out of your wheelhouse, and see if that gets you going. Because maybe you just need something new, you need a new challenge. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of creative people, that's, we kind of run off, we need problems to solve. We need new challenges. We need new things to figure out. And when we don't have those things, life gets boring. We get depressed. We, 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 we start floating through life, wondering what's wrong. And that's the issue. It's like, we're not learning. We're not growing.
1: You know, it's interesting. I, I remember a quote comes to mind. I don't remember who spoke it. I think it might've been the CEO of a company called Action Coach, or maybe it was Google actually and i heard it through action coach somehow but it said you are the people you meet and the books you read that's the sum that is who you become you, the the expertise you have all, you know everything is based upon the people you meet and the books you read and i think as a game designer the games you play have a dramatic impact on the games you make you know if you've never played anything but monopoly or shoots and ladders you're going to have roll and move in your game and that's going to be normal but if you play something like Twilight Imperium, it's just going to be a whole different experience of, of a game that you make. You'd be like, oh, everybody plays nine hour space operas, you know, or everybody plays games with roll and move. I just think the more experience you have, the more nuanced your skill set becomes and the more innovative you can be. You know, I think I, I look back to Elon Musk as a, um, a maker, one of the probably most prolific makers in our lifetime. Uh, Regardless of uh, what your opinion uh, is of the man, uh, I personally think he's uh, probably the Antichrist. Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) You know, some version of that uh, that wants to control my brain like (laughs) iRobot. So his claim to fame was PayPal. And he knew merchant services, and he knew the internet. He didn't know the internet as well as other people know the internet. He didn't know merchant services as well as other people know merchant services. But he he had expertise in both those areas enough so that i believe that he was the most qualified person on the planet to found paypal and i mean that was a major innovation right and so i think that the more experience we have the more that we stop stop doing uh i guess i don't know stop trying to create it's like every time you create you empty yourself out and you really need a way to fill yourself up back up i guess is what i'm trying to get at
0: right yeah absolutely i think we are not robots we are not computers like I've been working on this. Is that Elon Musk? Yeah. I've been working on this new GameFound campaign for a while. And so the last several nights, I've gone to bed post 4 a.m. Last night was 4.15. The night before was like 4.05. Like I'm laying down to go to sleep and it's after 4 a.m. That is not sustainable. That is something I'm doing <laughs> right now because I'm in this like crazy sprint of like trying to get it all done and figure it out and get everything you know fixed. But as creative people, you have to recharge. You have to rest. You have to go away for a while. And then come back. Because then you come back with new eyes. You come back with new ideas. You come back with a new perspective on things. You know, Stephen King, when he writes a novel, he will take the first draft and put it in a drawer for like six months. And he doesn't think about it. He doesn't touch it. And then he'll come back six months later, pull it out of the drawer, and he'll read it. And that's when he starts the editing process. Because now he's reading it with new eyes. He's not reading it as he meant it to be. He's reading it as it is. Now, as a game designer, am I saying design a game, leave it for six months, come back? I don't know. Maybe. Like, it just kind of depends on your process. But I feel like that whole recharge, you know, come back and and fill, figure out ways to get filled back up. Maybe that means you do jujitsu once a week. Maybe that means you go play basketball with some friends that don't even know what game design is. Like, whatever it looks like for you to fill back up, you've got to do it. You know, there's the old story of there were two lumberjacks that would every day they'd go into the woods and one would work all day and he would cut a certain amount of lumber and the other one would work half the day but he would cut more lumber and he would just disappear midday and he'd come back and he'd cut some more and he always did more he always had more wood stacked up by the end of the day and one day the guy that's there all the time he's like how 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 is this possible i work twice as much as you twice as hard twice as long but yet you cut more wood where do you go every day and the guy's like oh i go sharpen my axe and then i come back it's like oh if you're cutting all day, but your axe is dull, you're going to get less done than if you take some time, sharpen the axe, and then come back. And so that's something I've really been thinking a lot about. It's like this this whole grind, hustle, go crazy, you know, 24-hour day stuff. So it's not sustainable, and I actually get less done than if I take time, rest, come back, recharge.
1: That's I love the concept of sharpening the axe. I mean, off the cuff, just almost on a philosophical level, how does one... What are ways one can sharpen their acts?
0: So things I just talked about, like finding other hobbies, other things that get you going, hanging with your family. You know, video games can do it for some people. I'm a big fan of just going out with my son and we play baseball. Like we've done that almost every day for months now. He got into playing t-ball for the first time. And so he got super excited about it. And I I got this big bucket of, of baseballs. I bought him all the stuff. And there's a field right next to our house that we just go out and we play baseball. I don't have my phone on me. I don't think about game design. I don't think about business. I don't think about anything other than throwing the ball and catching it. That's it. That's all I'm worried about. And that is extremely helpful to recharge. And that's daily, right? I I live on a lake. So like yesterday, my son and I, we went out on the kayaks and we just like zoomed around the lake for a while, came back. And then I sat down and worked until (laughs) 4am. I don't think I could have done that had I not taken that time, the couple hours I took yesterday to hang out with him. I don't think I could have sustained it i think i would have you know passed out and and been done for versus literally up until 4am like i was grind. like i had to stop myself i'm like okay i got to go to bed i'm not tired I'm, I'm super excited about what i'm working on but i need to go to bed because tomorrow i got other stuff to do and apparently it was good that i got enough sleep because i'm doing a podcast with you guys that i didn't expect <laughs> uh, so i think you you find those things that work for you that do it and again that takes some time it takes some intentionality it takes getting outside of your shell, maybe putting yourself out there to do something. The first time, Andrew, you did jujitsu, I'm sure you weren't like, hey, let's go do jiu-. Like You were probably a little bit nervous, a little anxious. Like I don't know how this is going to go. Is this person going to hurt me? Is this going <laughs> to whatever? But you put yourself out there and now it's one of your mm-hmm. your favorite things to do. And I'm sure that that recharges your batteries. I well. double-legged my
1: future brother-in-law, slammed him on his back, and then he triangle tripped I came out of 10 years of college wrestling and so I slammed him on his back and then he choked the crap out of me and I didn't know how to tap out. <laughs> I was like, what is this? You know, I feel like I just got killed.
2: <laughs> yeah, I need to do this more. I'm sure people listening to this are thinking, well, Gabe's has transitioned part of his efforts into YouTube. Should I do the same? And maybe you can give some advice to people who are thinking about that. And one thing that we, we talked about before we started recording, is the challenge of standing out on YouTube. Um, that can either be through quality of production, quality of content. So maybe give some tips and examples of how people can leverage YouTube as a tool to further their business goals, particularly in the board game space. But then also, how do they stand out on the platform when it's just sort of overrun with mm-hmm. with content? And also, maybe even speak from the position of, uh, if you were to
1: give advice to a board game publisher... Um, or just any kind of, any kind of games publisher where they're making stuff, and how do they leverage their YouTube channel to be useful
0: to them? Yeah, so, all right, there's a lot of questions in there. Um, the first one, <laughs> would I suggest YouTube for someone, a designer, a publisher, whatever? It depends. It's kind of that age-old question of, hey, what social media platform should I be on? Well, technically all of them, but really what whatever ones you're, you're going to actually post on. Like, I hate... Twitter. I hate Instagram. I don't like the format. I don't like the psychological things it does to my brain. I don't like what those things do to society in general. So I don't use them. Am I missing out on potential, you know, email list subscribers for my games and uh, my podcast? Yes, absolutely. 100%. I don't care. I'm not I'm not going to do it. I don't want those apps on my phone. You know, I get on Twitter once a day, just to ch- kind of check in. I've got some friends that will message me on through Twitter because that's all they use. Okay, fine. So I think it really depends on what are you going to actually be able to put your bandwidth towards. If you're excited about YouTube, about what that means as a platform, about what that means as a format, then go for it. Because that's what's, what it's going to take. If you're just like, oh, I guess I can do this thing. You're never going to do it. You're going to post one or two videos. You're going to hate it. They're not going to get any views your analytics are going to be terrible and you're going to be like, Oh, I don't understand why it's not working. It's not working because you don't care. It's not working because you don't actually want to be there. And it's the same with any platform. You know, the only reason I use Facebook is for the board game design lab community. That's really it. Like if that community didn't exist, I don't think I would be on Facebook at all. Like I don't, I just don't care, you know? And so I think that's something to think, to think about like you personally. Now, if YouTube is something you're excited about, like I, I spend a ton of time on YouTube I'm at a point where I don't read very many books. Like I just, I just don't read. I've got dyslexia. Reading is not super fun for me. And so I get a lot of my information on through YouTube. You know, I will, I will, if it's a book I want to read, I'll just go find a YouTube video that like breaks down all the key points and like gives me all the data in a 20 minute video that I can watch at, you know, 1.75 speed. Like that's, that's how I interact with the online world is through YouTube. And so The more I thought about it, it's like, "Ah, I just want to, I want to try it. I want to see if I can do it. I want to see if I have what it takes to create videos and turn my ideas and my information and my content into something that people actually want to watch for an extended amount of time. That was super interesting and intriguing and exciting to me. So I got into it. So if that's you go for it. Now, that being the case, understand what YouTube is. YouTube is its own ecosystem, its own habitat that you have to understand the rules. If you want to be successful rule number one, is you have to tell a story. If you're just going to sit down and talk to a camera, you're going to have a very hard time succeeding because people, there's one, there's already tons of channels that are established that already do that way better than you do. So you're already competing with them. You're probably not going to draw you know, eyeballs and clicks away from the people that are already doing that really well. Just sit down and talk about something. They're already doing it. So you're going to have to stand out. The way to stand out is with production value and storytelling. Now, production value can be interesting if you don't have any money. Right. At the same time, I record all my stuff on my iPhone. iPhone 13 has a phenomenal camera. I bought a decent microphone to use. If you have those things, you can you can do YouTube. So don't let the cost of production value scare you away. It's more about the thought process. So one thing I've really latched on to here in the last I don't know month or so is okay, it can't just be me and a camera. I've got to have some movement. I gotta change the scene. I've got to change the angle of of the camera that you know it's not just me talking at the camera sometimes I cut away and it's you know a side angle sometimes it's an above angle all sorts of different things to kind of keep the viewer interested right but tell a story so often board game videos are here's the game and it plays in 90 minutes and it's two to four players and it does this and it's got that and it does this thing over here I mean that's fine you're, you're gonna you're gonna get people out the information that they want but that's not really a story which is what Shut Up and Sit Down does. Do you notice the difference between Shut Up and Sit Down and the Dice Tower? Now, the Dice Tower, for all intents and purposes, should have a million subscribers. They've been doing this forever. They have a ton of hosts. They have a ton of content. Daily videos are coming out. Good, high quality, good production, good sound, good light, good all the, Everything is there. But they don't have as many subscribers as Shut Up and Sit Down, which is just a couple dudes, you know, in an apartment that talk about one game a week or something like it's, but what's the difference? Storytelling. Shut up and sit down. You, I don't even care what game they're reviewing. I want to watch it. It's like a little movie. You know, I don't care. Mm. I'm not, I'm never going to play this Euro game that they are super excited. about. I don't care, but I'm super excited about the format, about how they're telling me about this game, about the little funny things that they're doing and the skits and the goofiness and because they're telling a story. And so I think if you're going to get into YouTube with your game publishing company or as a game designer, figure out how to tell a story, use cuts, use angles, use, use filmmaking tools and skill sets, then talk about your game. And that's the difference between getting 100 views and 100,000. And so that's mm-hmm. really what I've been thinking about a lot lately and what I hope my content really
2: turns into going forward. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think there's a YouTube content falls into three categories. It has to either educate, inspire, or entertain. And those kind of like the, the three-legged stool of YouTube content. So if it can be a mix of those things or- yeah. Focus on one of them really well but so we've talked about the the, sort of the overall philosophy of telling a story that cannot be done as you as you said earlier without thumbnails and and titles so how do you balance because i always think in terms of youtube content as being click worthy how is your content click worthy you don't want it to be click bait because that is like the extreme the extremity. In, in fact, when I ever, I, on YouTube personally, whenever I see videos which are extremely clickbaity, very sensational, I'll actually click the little three dots and say, Do not recommend channel. Because I have no interest in being manipulated by some content creator who's desperate for attention, desperate for clicks. Yeah. And I think it, it it overall devalues content on, on YouTube if it, everything just becomes sensational. So, how do you then have the balance between being intriguing because you want to get a click? but not being so sensational where people just think that you are a shill, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. I think the main thing to understand is clickbait is clickbait when
0: you don't deliver on what you promised. That's when it becomes clickbait, right? If I say, if I'm thinking like a Ryan Trahan video, because he has all these videos of him like staying in weird places and like crazy overnight experiences, stuff like that. So, you know, he has titles that are like staying in the world's oldest hotel. Okay, but then you watch the video and he literally is staying in the world's oldest hotel and he's talking about it and he's like, here I am and there's this and this was built in you know 10,000 years ago, whatever. It's like, oh, he's delivering on the title. So I think that's the thing. You don't want it to mismatch. If I say staying in the world's oldest hotel and then I'm at the Holiday Inn up the road, you're like, what is this? This is, this is clickbait. You're not delivering on what you promised. So I think you have to think through, okay, intriguing. I think that's another thing that like top 10 games of all time like, the, oh, that's interesting. Are these really the top 10 games of all time? No, they're, it's your opinion about this. But at the same time, I'm curious, you know, if you're someone I know of, if you're a reviewer that I'm aware of and I like, I'm curious of what are your top 10 games? Obviously lists do really well on YouTube, you know, top five ways to get ahead in the marketing world, you know, whatever it is. Like, okay, that's interesting. So I think you can use lists to kind of draw people in because they want to know, okay, what's your top 10? I know what my top 10 is. I want to compare it to yours and tell you you're dumb in the comments. So I think you can do all sorts of things to intrigue people. That's not like clickbait because you're going to deliver. I am going to tell you in this video, my top 10 games of all time. I'm not going to tell you my top 10 favorite ice cream flavors. I'm going to deliver. So I think you're always balancing that out, but at the same time you want to create that interest, that intrigue. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say twilight Imperium is the greatest game of all time. Okay. I just told you the entire video in the title. Mm -hmm. So why watch? You already know the, you know, the ending of the movie at that point. And so, you know, in that case I would say my my favorite game of all time takes 10 hours to play. Like, oh. Now some people are going to know what that is. But a lot of people are like, "Oh, what is this?" That's interesting to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now I'm going to deliver. But at the same time the the title and hopefully the thumbnail got you to click and get inside. So that that's my my thoughts on that.
2: But sometimes clickbait isn't necessarily about not delivering. Sometimes it can just be about baiting a click to an exaggerated or extreme position. So it'd be like, what did she find under the hat? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it's like very sensational. And there's like a, a woman, there's like a, this thumbnail and everything's like super saturated. And there's like some over the top facial expression highlight like of a silhouette. So I, I think that's part of the culture on YouTube as well because there's this this battle essentially for attention and getting watch time because that's the key metric that YouTube uses in their algorithm to push or suggested content. And that's really where the win is on YouTube is getting into their algorithm where your videos are being suggested and that's how you blow up on, on YouTube. So yeah, I think it's something worth thinking about how people's perceptions of your content could be because you might get a click, you might get the view, but you might have done it in a way that actually put a bad taste in people's mouth. And they're like, unsubscribe I never want to see this content in my feed ever again so that's that's my personal yeah. thought I don't know if you have anything to say on that Andrew
1: yeah well um, you know one very very popular YouTube uh, personality is Mr. Beast and I heard him one time just talk about what his you know his opinion of you know this guy gets hundred 100 million 200 million video, uh, views on a single video and has more money than he cares to have And you know, it's just very, very successful on the platform. He said that he believes YouTube wants people to just simply remain on their platform. So the the number one criteria for YouTube is if people uh, watch the video, but then click on another video. And I think that there's a lot to be uh, unpacked in that statement, you know, obviously the thumbnail and the title matter, but in the end, I think that that will get you so far. But as Gabe, you kind of alluded to the content and the quality of the content that you watch, it should entertain, inspire, or, or inform, um, right? And it should make people want to watch the next video on your channel. And I think that is where YouTube will start to recommend you and you'll start to rank organically for things that you wouldn't rank uh, for otherwise. And um, that's really how you know you organically grow and i believe that's how shut up sit down organically has grown so much because their videos and and reviews i mean you know i'm looking at i uh there was a game that hit game found i really really wanted to buy it but i knew it would never see play in my house it's called guardians of atlantis just hit game found it raised probably eight hundred thousand it's basically the moba it's like league of legends or dota 2 uh, on a tabletop and it's not cooperative and so it would never see play in my house because I would just play my wife once, I would control two heroes, crush her and she would be like, I don't like this game and that would be <laughs> the last time that game was ever played. So, um, it you know, I I I I didn't back it, but dude, the shut up sit down video, that thing has like 250,000 views or something. I want to let me look uh, real quick. It's Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. 107,000. Sorry. I I overestimated by a fair amount, but oh my goodness, 107,000 views for a video that was posted two weeks ago on a board game channel, that's some serious uh, engagement, and it just was everywhere, you know, if I was searching for it, something to think about. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's so easy to say, oh, channels in the board game space don't get very many views because board gaming is such a niche thing, and there's not as many gamers as board gamers as there are video gamers or writers or whatever. It's just an excuse you don't have to be a board gamer to enjoy shut up and sit down content. You don't have to be a board gamer to enjoy a good story. Well told. And that's, that's the excuse. It's, and that's something I have really been thinking about. It's like, okay, it's not education. It's not entertainment. It's edutainment. Like I've got information. I've got something I want to help someone with, but I have to position it and tell it in such a way that it keeps them watching. It keeps that retention, right? Um, you know, Mr. Beast has like 90% retention throughout his videos where 90% of people who start the video finish it and then they watch another one. And so it's easy to go, oh, the algorithm loves Mr. Beast because he's figured out. No, no, no. The algorithm is nothing but the audience. It's the same. It's like a algorithm equals audience. It's the same word, just used in different ways. It's not that the algorithm likes something. It's that audience, the audience likes something. And then YouTube's like, oh, you like this? We'll give you more. It's it's very simple. There's It's not magical, <laughs> as people kind of believe.
1: Mm-hmm. I think people want to game the system You know, in, in so many words. They want a shortcut, a silver bullet, a thing that will just make them, you know, kind of get ranked and, and that kind of thing. You know, part of our business is, you know, to rank people organically on Google. You know, we started a, a roofing company the other day. or Well, actually today is recording this podcast and it's big business to get people ranked at the top of Google. And there's a systematized way that we have come up with over the course of months to actually do that and outrank competitors and that kind of thing. You can't really play the game like that on YouTube, in my opinion. If you want to have a fantastic results, you have to be... Like your video itself has to be the fantastic result yeah. of your thought and your hard work. Yeah. Right? I don't know. It's kind of... you Can't fake the algorithm out because like you said the algorithm is the audience
2: right well Well, the algorithm changes as well i think people need to understand that there's engineers behind those algorithms and Mm -hmm. google as a corporation has an agenda has a motivation which is to make money and they're going to adjust that algorithm in ways that's going to be profitable for them not for you you're really there as a a thing in their system to make them money (laughs) at the end of the day. So something to keep in mind, how can you further the goals of YouTube, which is, or Google is to create profits for them.
1: Yep. You're to Google, to mega corporations, you're a wallet.
2: So for example, having a YouTube channel that's designed about uh, internet privacy and blocking ads and anonymizing your stuff online is probably not going to do too well on YouTube.
0: No, nope, definitely.
2: Because <laughs> those are the data points that they
1: leverage to make money. Exactly. So Gabe, let's talk about, you know, let's kind of revisit the beginning of this conversation where we started out with Gabe Barrett 1.0 with this blue-eyed, bushy-tailed kid in Honduras. Now you're this grizzled veteran with war scars everywhere. And, uh, you know, you're, you've are you got this 2.0. How So to just give us like a, a time lapse or a timeline overview of of what you did you know with let's say starting with like the podcast and where you transitioned and now where you're at today
0: yeah so obviously 1.0 was the 301 episodes the community the books the games all that kind of stuff and then i just wanted to figure out okay what else do i want to do and that's you know as we've been talking about diving into youtube figuring things out putting the podcast on hiatus for a while And then the more I did YouTube, the more I was learning about uh, video podcasting and the opportunities there and how you can record one piece of content and then you can cut it up and all of a sudden you've got tons of different content, you know, that you can put out there at different times and, you know, people are going to watch it. People are always looking for different formats. You know, someone might go, oh, it's an hour long. I don't want to listen to that. Oh, but that's a really interesting six minute clip that kind of speaks to exactly what I'm trying to learn right now. Okay, cool. So they might watch that. So thinking through, okay. So now we're starting to get into the 2.0. But at the same time, I wasn't necessarily going to do the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Like I was thinking through, okay, you know, I'm pretty good at this whole interviewing thing. I've been doing it for a while. What does it look like to start reaching out and kind of create a new show and create a new thing and do something totally different and start from scratch? Like that's exciting. I think it's something as game designers, we're always excited about. Like the new project, you know, the next game idea. And, you know, I've got 47 other games I've been working on that are all kind of in this like, land of misfit designs that are sitting on a shelf, but Ooh, that new one, that's the new shiny one. And so that's kind of where I was, but the more I thought about it. And again, I was taking this really good business course and I was talking to this, um, podcast manager that, you know, works for this big team of people and she just had so many interesting insights. And one of the things I learned was, you know, cause I was thinking, ah, board game design, it's such a niche thing. It's so small. It's such a small audience. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, the stats tell me that if your podcast uh, gets more than 5,000 downloads per episode in the first week that it launches, Errors. You're in the top 1%. I say, oh, shoot. Board Game Design Lab is in the top 1% of all podcasts in the world ever. <laughs> a game design niche of a niche of a niche podcast is in the top 1% of downloads per episode. Oh, shoot. That's... That's not what I thought because all we ever hear about are the Joe Rogans of the world and like the million download per episodes people. That's all we ever, you know, really talk about, think about, whatever. How can I be like them? Not realizing that the riches are in the niches. Like like you really can make a sustainable income. You're not going to become a $100 million Spotify deal star, but you can make a living. You can make a, a nice income for you and your family. If you niche niche down and really focus on one community and think through, okay, how can I serve this one small community, the best in the world? And so I was like, oh, let me think more about that. Because, you know, one thing I was thinking about in Honduras, I never really made the board game design lab my full time thing. I was always doing other things. I was teaching, I was doing mission work, I was serving, I was bouncing back and forth between Honduras and Atlanta. You know, the Board Game Design Lab was always a part-time thing, even though it was my full-time income at one point. Like, I was making more money from that than I was from teaching in Honduras. If you can believe that, if you can believe that teaching (laughs) in Honduras is not as lucrative uh, as... (laughs) But I never focused on the BGDL. I was like, I wonder what it would look like if I actually focused my full-time effort, energy, and everything to it, huh? And all of a sudden, I had these ideas. And I was like, oh, shoot. And, and, and what I had been missing was you know that excitement, that learning, that growing, that figuring out new things. All that stuff that had been missing because I just kind of gotten lackadaisical and comfortable in the podcast. All of a sudden, that stuff started coming out. I was like, oh, man. Well, I could do an online course, and I need to write another book, and I need to do this. And like, how would I turn this into a full-fledged, full-time thing? Now let's figure that out, and that's where the whole 2.0 thing came from. It's like let's not start a new podcast, start it from scratch. Let's let's do the same mm-hmm. podcast, except let's take it to the next level. And so that's that's where I'm at.
1: Let's talk about this BGDL 2.0. Uh, you did 301 episodes, and they were focused on topics to make people better game designers. And I remember you saying something about you felt like you kind of exhausted every topic, and the only future topics you could have would be. Um, Topics you've already kind of covered. Then in addition to that, you had a lot of first-time designers that were going to Kickstarter that wanted to be your guest that you invited on. And of course, you had a, a wide variety of people um, on the podcast that had quite a lot of experience. Um, I got to be a guest on your podcast several times. But uh, I'm curious as to what changes do you are you going to make to the 2.0 podcast versus the 1.0 yeah. like why what, what is 2.0 different how is it different for sure
0: like you said and how is it the same like i've got three or four episodes about cooperative games i think i've talked about cooperative games at this point you know like i don't necessarily want to do another cooperative game episode if something new happens if a new way of doing it comes out and it's like oh shoot let's talk about this new thing cool but you know so if anyone is getting into the show for the first time you know 301 episodes of topics you can probably find what you want to know about um, I don't think I've talked enough about Euro games. I don't know if I've ever done a <laughs> done an episode on Euro <laughs> games. I got an email the other day from a guy who's like, hey, you never did that. I was like, oh, I'll put that on the new list. But so there are a handful of things I need to go back and, and just figure out, okay, I never talked about that. Let's do it. But then what I'm really excited about is talking about things that are a little bit more general, creativity in general. You know, I wanna, I'm really excited. I've been talking to this lady who's a neuroscientist, trying to get her to come on the show. And it's like, okay, Tell me about neuroscience as it relates to creativity, and then let me relate that to game design. Let's figure out how all this stuff works together. Now, she's not a lady you would have ever heard of in the game design space. You know, she's not a game designer and a neuroscientist. She's just a neuroscientist, and I want to. but I want to have her on the show. I want to talk to someone who, you know, uh, specializes in sleep and how does sleep affect creativity, which also affects game design. So you see what I'm saying? Like, I want to do these things that are kind of a mm. little further up the ladder. As far as ideas, not you know, super specific game design topics, but things that relate to game designers in other ways.
2: That's interesting because that's that's something that we've started to do, right? Because we kind of you start exhausting topics and like, okay, where do you go from here? And we've started to do that. We sort of expand a little bit more where you covered adjacent topics which relate to marketing, but are sort of outside of the scope of maybe marketing as a core principle. Exactly. So that's interesting that you say that because it's something that we've sort of transitioned to naturally over time as well.
0: Right. Cause I think your audience has been growing with you. You know what I mean? Like your audience doesn't want necessarily another episode on something you've already talked about three or four times. They've heard it. Facebook ads, more Facebook exactly. ads. Exactly. Now do Facebook ads change regularly and you can bring up the new changes and things? Absolutely. Like you're always going to have a new idea as far as that goes, but your audience probably would get more excited if you talk to someone in an adjacent industry about something that also relates to them in some way. And so that's, that's also what I'm thinking through It's like, okay, how do I, how do I do that on a high level? And also going back to, again, the clickability, since I'm not just doing audio, it's also video. I'm really thinking through, okay, what is an episode title that someone's going to click on, on YouTube? And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's something else just to kind of be aware of. If you're going to be on that platform, you have to think through, okay, what is the, again, I have I've got an episode coming out soon where I'm interviewing some first time Kickstarter creators who made a million dollars on their first campaign. Okay, that's interesting. And I reached out to them because I already had the idea for the title in my head. Right? First-time creators, million dollars raised. Oh, shoot. That is a clickable title. If I'm going to go to Kickstarter, I want to know what these people did because they they aren't Awakened Realms. They aren't like one of these big, you know, Lucky Duck or whoever that's doing, they've done this a million times. These are brand new people that made a game about flowers. Yep. And they made a million dollars. Like, what? Like, how is that possible? Okay, let me talk to them. And so thinking through, being more strategic, and not just saying, oh yeah, I'll talk to whoever about whatever. Like, No, no, no. Be very honed in. This is what we're doing. This is what we're going, you know, where we're going. And I think mm-hmm. the show's going to be better off. I think the listeners and the viewers are going to enjoy it more. So that's part of the whole 2.0. I like that. I think that it's, um, you know,
1: high, higher level when you're talking about a subject like creativity, you could talk about that subject, I mean, ad infinitum, with different people, and I, and you would get Um, an infinite number of different takes that I would probably appreciate hearing all of them. Exactly. And in a way, I I feel like we listen to podcasts just simply to hear interesting conversations. Sometimes it's how to do something, but if I'm really looking up how to do a thing, I probably will go look up a YouTube video, like how to install a filter in my refrigerator. Like I'll look up a YouTube video, but I'm not, you know, you're
0: not subscribing to that channel.
1: Right. Yeah. So I, am <laughs>
0: like, you're not going to, you're not really waiting for their next video, which is like how to fix some other random thing in your house. Cause that thing in your house hasn't broken yet. So why are you going to watch that video? So yeah, it's just thinking through community. I'm building an audience. I'm not just putting out videos. Like I can get a million views. I can go outside and set myself on fire and get a million views. Nobody's subscribing. Mm-hmm. They're going to watch it. The, watch the moron in Alabama who set himself on fire and it's going to be this news thing. And that, that's, that's going to be it. And so thinking through long term slow growth, community building, audience building. What does that look like? I, it's just something people need to be more aware of and intentional about because I think the opportunities are there if you're intentional.
1: Well, man, I great advice to uh to end on. Uh share how can people find you? Uh how can people give that board game design that podcast a listen, you know, and just in general, if somebody wants to get in contact with you or to, jo- or to join your communities, how will they, how will they find Yeah. You?
0: So you can search board game design lab pretty much anywhere and you'll find it, whether you're a Spotify user, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, anywhere. Board game design lab is the best way uh, to do that. Also the board uh, board game design is the website. That kind of is the hub for everything. Tons and tons of resources on that site and pretty much any topic of game design. Uh, you know, you guys have contributed some really cool stuff for crowdfunding. Like there's, just a wealth of information there. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find at Any of those channels, feel free to reach out and send me a message. If you have questions or anything like that.
1: That's awesome. And, and last question, uh, you're reactivating your podcast with Jamie Stegmeier, right?
0: What do you mean? Is, is he your oh, first? Yes. Guest? So of course, like I reached out to him a while <laughs> back. This is actually when I was going to do the new thing. And I was like, Hey man, I'm doing a new thing. I want, you know, you to be the first guest just to make it, you know, it all makes sense. And uh, we had a great conversation and what, what was so funny, you know, here we are talking about like creativity and things in general, but we kept coming back to game design. We kept coming back to publishing because that's just who we are. And so when I was like, okay, let's just switch gears and do a you know 2.0 of the BGDL podcast. I was like, well, that still works really well as episode 302. And so there's several conversations like that. Peter C. Hayward is in there. Um, quite a few people that are just good friends in the board game space that uh, I'm excited to share. Cause again, it's, it's a little bit different format we're not just saying okay here's how you prototype and here's how you play test like it's it's a little bit bigger vision for things but uh yeah i'm excited just to to go home if you know what i
1: mean yeah well uh, you know i on behalf of all of our team i'm excited that you joined us and really excited to listen to that podcast um you know when it comes out thanks thanks gabe for joining us and i guess we'll have robot richard send us
0: out awesome thanks guys Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy!